الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides there's no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there's no one that can guide him i bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshiped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and i bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger I'd like to begin this evening in this number 7 the 7th lecture in our series of lectures from tayseer al-allam the sharh of umdatul ahkam and this sharh as we know is by sheikh abdullah ibn abdurrahman ibn salih ali bassam hafizahullah may allah protect and preserve him all the original book umdatul ahkam is the collection of hadith containing those hadith which have been agreed upon by al-Bukhari and Muslim muttafaqun alayh or one of them and that is by al-Imam Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi rahimahullah so the chapter that we are the sub, sub chapter that we are dealing with today from kitab al-Hajj is bab at-tawaf wa adabuhu at-tawaf wa adabuhu or perhaps we may say if it is يعني مضاف مضاف إليه باب الطواف وأدبه. The tawaf or the circumambulation going around the Kaaba seven times and the manner of doing so, the manners or the way that the tawaf should be performed. Uh, the first hadith is hadith number two twenty. The hadith of Umar, that is Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhu, أنه جاء إلى الهجر الأسود وقبله. That Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhu, it's reported from him that he came or he went to the black stone. يعني when he arrived in Mecca, he went directly to the masjid and approached الهجر الأسود, the black stone, وقبله, and he kissed it. And when he kissed it, he said, وَقَالَ إِنِّي لَأَعْلَمُ أَنَّكَ حَجْرٌ لَا تَضُرُّ وَلَا تَنْفَعُ That verily, indeed, I know for sure that you are merely a stone. Of course, he wasn't addressing the stone. He was addressing the people. He said, indeed, I know that you are merely a stone. لَا تَضُرُّ You cannot cause harm to anyone or anything. وَلَا تَنْفَعُ Nor can you benefit anyone or anything. And whatever cannot cause any harm, nor give any benefit, then it is of no value. It certainly isn't something that should be worshipped or feared. لَا تَضُرُّ وَلَا تَنْفَعُ You cannot cause harm nor benefit. وَلَوْ لَا أَنِّي رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُقَبِّلُكْ مَا قَبَّلْتُكْ And here in the text of the book it says, And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
But in the narrations of Al-Bukhari, all of the ones that I could find narrating this particular hadith in various places in Al-Bukhari, the expression here that was used instead of An-Nabi Wasallam, it was Rasulullah. He said that if it wasn't that I saw the Messenger of Allah Wasallam kissing you, or kissing, naam, kissing you, then I would not have kissed you. Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu made this very very important statement in front of the Hujjaj, all of the pilgrims from all over the world at that time and it was indeed a fundamental, a foundation that the Muslims need to understand in all times. In another narration of this hadith reported by al-Bukhari, in the end of it, it is reported that Umar radiallahu anhu said, qala ma lana walil what is it for us and what is between us and this ramal, the running, the short quick steps that a person makes in the tawaf al-qudum, the arrival tawaf? Yani there's, there's no reason for us to do this ramal. And then he said, إِنَّمَا كُنَّا رَأَيْنَا الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَقَدْ أَحْلَكَهُمُ اللَّهِ That verily, we were displaying or exhibiting ourselves in front of the mushrikeen in the time of the Prophet when the origin of this ramal, the running around the Kaaba, when it was when it started, he said we were only doing this running to show our strength to the mushrikeen, but Allah has destroyed them now. So what is the reason for us to do it? What is the reason why we are running now doing this ramal? He said, Thumma qala Shayun Sanahu and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi It is something that was done by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we don't like to abandon it. Whatever was done by the Prophet even though it was done for a reason, and that reason is not here anymore, there's no reason for it now, but because it was done by the Messenger of Allah we don't like to abandon it. We will continue to do as we saw the Prophet doing. And this is also a very important principle for the Muslims, although this, is, this narration is not a narration narrated in Umdat al-Ahkam, but because of the importance of the meaning of what he said here, that merely because it was done by the Prophet ﷺ, even though we know the reason for it, why he did it at that time, to show the strength of the Muslims to the pagans so they wouldn't think about attacking them, and there was no need to do that anymore, but because of the fact that the Prophet ﷺ did it, then we also do it as he did it. And if this is showing the importance of ittiba or strictly adhering to the ways of the Prophet ﷺ, in his authentic sunnah. So here, the, the Shaykh Abdullah Ali Bassam, Hafidhullah, says the general meaning of this hadith is that places and times and other things don't have any sacredness, nor are they exalted, the exaltation that is actually worship of Allah. Yani nothing should be exalted, not places or times, in a way that is equivalent to the exaltation or the glorification of something that amounts to worship. Nothing should be exalted in this way or considered to be sacred in and of itself. But in fact, those things are considered to be sacred or they are exalted because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated that we consider them as such. Because, tafaddal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated it to be so. For this reason, Umar radiallahu anhu, he 
gave respect to that stone, though he knew that it doesn't have any power to harm or to benefit, but because the legislator, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or through his messenger Muhammad sallallahu has declared it to be special, therefore we, the Muslims, consider it likewise. Uh, and here he says, for this reason, when Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu came to the black stone and he kissed it, in front of all the pilgrims who had gathered for the pilgrimage, and many of them, they were people who had newly embraced Islam and had only recently abandoned the worship of idols, of stones and trees and things like this. For that reason, Umar radiallahu anhu, he made clear to them that he was not kissing this stone, nor glorifying it or considering it to be of any, any high status due to something from his own self, but, and not, and not only that, but also it wasn't because the stone had any benefit or could cause any harm, but verily the reason why he was performing this act of worship, of kissing the stone, not as worship of the stone, but because the legislator, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, declared it to be so, and kissed the stone in this manner, so likewise we follow it. He said, if I had not seen the Prophet ﷺ kissing it, I would not have done so, but I am doing this following the example of the Prophet, taking him as a model and as, and as, as an example, not because of my opinion or in any way to uh, invent something new in the religion. From this hadith, the Shaykh Abdullah, Hafidhullah, derive seven points or mention seven points related to this hadith. The first of them is that it is mashru'ah. It is legislated to kiss the black stone for those who are making tawaf. It is legislated in the sharia that a person who is making tawaf should kiss the black stone whenever they pass by it if they are able to do it without any difficulty. And as long as they are able to do it without hurting people or pushing people or causing any harm to anyone. Then in that case, whoever is able, they should kiss it each time they pass the black stone. Number two, that kissing it is not because it has the ability to give any benefit or to cause any harm in and of itself. But verily, it is an act of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which we have received from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa through his actions. And here... I just want to note, so that there is no confusion about this point, obviously the stone, it was merely a stone that has no ability to cause harm or to benefit, except by permission from Allah. And, but its benefit, there is benefit in touching the stone, and that benefit is as it has been narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, that touching the black stone and touching the Yamani corner of the Kaaba removes sins. It is authentic hadith. But of course the removal of sins is not an act from the stone itself. But the removal of sins is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because He is the one who legislated for us to touch the stone. So it, causes, it doesn't have any benefit nor can it cause any harm except if there is any benefit, it is benefit from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who legislated for us to touch it. The third point which is a very important point and it is a qa'idah, a principle or an asl of the usul of this deen, it is a fundamental principle. أَنَّ ibadat تَوْقِيفِيَةً That all acts of worship that means that we do not do any act of worship except we stop first. Waqf, qif. Don't move on any act of worship until first you examine that act 
Is it based upon the Quran and Sunnah? Is there evidence for it in the Sharia, in the revelation? Otherwise, we are not able to do any act of worship unless there is a proof for it in the Quran and in the Sunnah. This is the meaning of tawqifiyah. It is from waqf to stop. You don't proceed in doing any act of worship until you first know that it is based upon, that you are standing upon a proof from the Sharia, from the divine revelation, the Quran and authentic Sunnah of the Prophet So nothing has been legislated as an act of worship except that which is legislated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa This is a very important principle. Al-ibadat tawqifiyah. All acts of worship are tawqifiyah. Yani no one can do any act of worship unless it is based on a proof from the Quran and Sunnah. It cannot be based on our opinion or something that we think is good. But it is something that should come from the legislator. That is from the Quran, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or from his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The shaykh says this is a very great and beneficial principle that is understood or derived from the speech of Al-Muhaddath that is the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to inspire with the right opinion in many matters that is Umar ibn Khattab, Amir al-Mu'mineen radiallahu anhu yani this principle of tawqifiyah is understood from the statement of Umar that had I not seen the messenger of Allah sallallahu kissing you I would not have done so yani I cannot do it because it is ibadah and we cannot do it except with the proof from the Quran and Sunnah so this is a very important principle that Muslims need to understand and a Muslim should avoid everything that is considered an act of worship until they know that there is a proof for it in the Sharia. Number four, that it is necessary to make clear that which might be misunderstood by the common masses in reference to the issues of knowledge that might not be clear to some of the people, those who know should clarify them so that the people do not hold a wrong belief. So that they do not take a wrong opinion. When there is a matter about which people might be confused about it, then it is the responsibility of those who know to make clear. As Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu did when he kissed the stone, he knew that some people might misunderstand it. They were just recently worshipping idols. They had newly came to Islam. So he said it's necessary to make clear that the kissing of this stone is not like you used to do in Jahiliyyah, worshipping stones. We are not worshipping the stone. But it is based on Sharia, on the Sunnah of the Prophet And this is يعني, in submission to Allah as an act of worship for Allah alone. Number five, he says that the action of the Prophet is considered his Sunnah which is to be followed. The action of the Prophet is considered as part of his Sunnah which is to be followed. Not only his speech, what he told the people to do. But even what he himself did, it is considered as his sunnah which is to be followed by the rest of the people unless there is a dalil or a proof showing that this is something khas or min the khususiyat of the Prophet If there is no proof showing that this is especially only for the Prophet then everything that he does, it is for the whole of the ummah. His, his fasting without breaking the fast at Maghrib and fasting until the next day without breaking the fast it was something especially for him and there is a proof of it his marrying more than four wives is something especially for him and there is a proof of it otherwise if there is no proof 
Whatever he does, it is also considered as part of his sunnah which is to be followed. His sunnah is that which he says, that which he does, and that which he approves of. That which is done in his presence or he comes to know of and he allows it without speaking against it. This is the sunnah. Number six, uh, that whenever any act of worship has been shown to be correct and it is verified in the sharia, then we must act upon it. Even if we don't know what is the wisdom behind it. Even if we cannot understand what is the wisdom. Why are we making tawaf? What is the wisdom? Allahu alam, I don't know, maybe. Maybe someone knows, maybe someone can figure out. But even if you don't know, you do it. Because once you know that it is authentically established as a part of the deen, and it is founded in the sharia, then it's necessary for you to act upon it. Even if you can't understand its wisdom. And this is in light of the fact that the submission and surrender, willing surrender of the people in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to perform whatever He has legislated for us, even without knowing its wisdom, this in itself is a wisdom. Because it is part of what Allah requires of us, that the person obey Allah and worship as He has legislated, whether we know why or not. This is part of Islam. And there is a wisdom when we find that those who are Muslims, if they know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us with something, even if we can't understand what's the reasoning, doesn't seem to be rational. No matter, we would do it anyway. Maybe some people think it's not rational to wipe over the socks when making al-mas' al al-khufayn. Some people think it's not rational. You should wipe underneath the socks. The dirt is underneath. It's not rational. It's not a matter of rationality. It is a matter of obeying Allah and submitting to what Allah has commanded us to do. So this is also important. Number seven, the last point he mentions is the statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. He said that it is mustahab for the one who is making tawaf, who is circumambulating the Kaaba, that he should make zikr of Allah, remembrance of Allah, and supplicating to Allah, dua. With that zikr and that dua, which is legislated in the Sharia. From that which is legislated in the Sharia, that which is authentically reported, from the supplications and words of remembrance of the Prophet ﷺ or from the Qur'an. And there's no harm if the person says that dhikr or dua silently to themselves, there's no harm in doing so. And the point that we should be warned against here, he said that it is not for the one who is making tawaf to make some specified words of remembrance or dhikr. Uh, because the Prophet ﷺ, nothing has been recorded from him not by his command, nor by his speech, nor by his teaching the people that the people uh, should supplicate with a particular dua or a particular zikr. But in fact, what is right is that the person should make supplication in dua with any of those supplications which are recorded in the Quran and Sunnah. Not as many of the people are doing today, making specific supplications. For example, under the water spout, that where the water falls from the roof of the Kaaba. Or in any other place, in the first circuit there's a certain dua, in the second time there's a special dua, and every place there's some special duas, none of them are legislated from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. They have no origin in the sharia, except that which the Prophet ﷺ used to conclude every circuit around the Kaaba with, between the Yamani corner and the black stone, the verse of Quran, Rabbana atina fid dunya. Hasana, وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَ وَقِنَا عَذَابِ النَّارِ Allah, give us good in this world and good in the next life and save us or protect us from the punishment of the fire. Other than this supplication, the other supplications for tawaf or words of remembrance 
There's nothing legislated in the Sunnah except that the Prophet ﷺ used to say Allahu Akbar when he used to kiss or touch the black stone or point to it. And it's also reported from some Sahaba, like Abdul ibn Umar, that he used to say Bismillah, yani that he, Abdul ibn Umar, Mawkuf, he used to say Bismillah before saying Allahu Akbar. And it is permissible to do it both ways, to say Allahu Akbar or to say Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. The second hadith, hadith number 221, is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him and his father, the uncle of the Prophet al-Abbas, radiallahu anhum. He said, قَالَ قَدِمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَأَصْحَابُهُ مَكَّةِ That the Messenger of Allah and his companions arrived at Mecca. This was in the seventh year after the Hijrah, the year after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And the, year of, of the sixth year of the Hijrah, the Prophet came with his companions to make Umrah. And they were prevented by the pagans and they made a treaty with them to come in the next year, in the seventh year. And here Abdul ibn Abbas is reporting the arrival of the Messenger of Allah and his companions to Mecca after the year after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the seventh year after the Hijrah. فَقَالَ الْمُشْرِقُونَ The pagans, the pagans of Mecca who had to go outside of Mecca for three days according to the treaty to allow the Muslims to make Umrah, they said, إِنَّهُ يَقْدَمُ عَلَيْكُمْ قَوْمٌ قَدْ وَحَنَتْهُمْ That some people have come forth to you, a people who have been made weak by the fever of Medina. And there was a fever that was well known that used to and afflict the people in Medina. And the companions of the Prophet many of them were afflicted by it and they were weakened by it. So they said, they were making planning and planning amongst themselves saying this is a good opportunity. Some people have come now who are enemies and they are weak. It's a good chance to attack them. And as some of the scholars said and it's reported in some narrations that this was from the whispering of shaitan suggesting to them that they should attack the Muslims and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed it to the Prophet what they were planning and then he responded in this way. In the hadith he said, yani Abdul ibn Abbas said, فَأَمَرَهُمْ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْ يَرْمُلُوا الْأَشْوَاقِ الثَّلَاثَةِ As a result of this idea that the pagans, that the pagans were suggesting, yani the weakness of the Muslims, the Prophet ordered them to make ramal, ramal, that is a sort of jogging, a military type, yani walking quickly, short, quick steps. He ordered them to do Ramal in the first three circuits. Yani the Tawaf, the meaning of Tawaf is to go around the Kaaba seven times. And each time is called a Shout. So the first three Ashwat, the first three circuits around, he ordered them to make Ramal. And that they should walk between the two corners, meaning the Yamani corner and the corner which contains the black stone. Because the place where the pagans were sitting, in the mountain, behind, they couldn't see from that side of the Kaaba. So the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to walk, to take some rest in the place where they couldn't be seen, and only to run in the side where they could be seen. So he ordered them to run three times around, except between the two corners, the Yemeni corner and the black stone. In that place they should walk. وَلَمْ يَمْنَعَهُمْ أَنْ يَرْمُلُوا الْأَشْوَاتِ كُلَّهَا إِلَّا الْإِبْقَاءُ عَلَيْهِمْ and this is the narration of Umdat al-Ahkam, but as it came in the Sahih of al-Bukhari, and I checked all of the narrations that I could find, the wording is different. He said, وَلَمْ يَمْنَعْهُ أَنْ يَأْمُرَهُمْ أَنْ يَرْمُلُوا الْأَشْوَاتِ كُلَّهَا إِلَّا الْإِبْقَاءَ عَلَيْهِمْ 
The meaning of this statement is that nothing prevented him, yani nothing pre- prevented the Prophet from commanding them to make ramal in the whole of the three circuits, yani without walking in that one corner, nothing prevented him from ordering them to run completely three times around without walking except his compassion or mercy for them because he knew it was a difficulty on them uh, and in some of the narrations in Al-Bukhari it's also reported that the Prophet that the narrator Abdul Abbas said that the Prophet said Urmulu al-mushrikun quwwatakum he said do ramal so that you may show the pagans your strength wal mushrikun min qibal and the mushrikeen was sitting in a place in the mountain in this mountain called Qu'aiqi'an which the foot of it is the mountain of Marwa and in the foot of that mountain is the mountain the hill of Marwa and the top of it is this mountain called Qu'aiqi'an the mushrikeen was sitting on top of that mountain watching and the Prophet told them show them run so that you may show the mushrikeen your strength here the Shaykh says, Shaykh Abdullah Hafizullah says, meaning of this hadith is that the Prophet ﷺ came in the sixth year of Hijrah, yani before making the Umrah, when they were attempting to make Umrah and stop, in the sixth year of the Hijrah, he came towards Mecca seeking to make Umrah, and with him were many of his companions. So the Mushrikeen came out, the pagan Kafirs of Quraysh came out to fight him and to stop him from entering the Kaaba. As a result of that, there was a treaty between them, and, and as part of that treaty, it was an agreement that the Prophet ﷺ and his companions should go back, go back to Medina this year without making Umrah, and that they should return in the following year as uh, those who are coming to perform Umrah, and that they would stay in Mecca for three days. So they came in the following year, that is in the seventh year after the Hijrah, to perform that which is known as Umrah al-Qaba. The mushrikeen at that time, speaking to one another, they said, these people have come to you who have been made weak by the fever of Yathrib. That was the name of Al-Madinah in the days of Jahiliyyah. And it's not right for a Muslim to refer to the city of Medina by this name. It was a name from Jahiliyyah. But today we refer to it as Al-Madinah al-Nabawiyyah, the prophetic city, or Madinah al-Nabi the city of the Prophet ﷺ. So, when the Prophet ﷺ, when it reached him, what they were saying, what the pagans were saying, he wanted to answer or to respond to what they were saying and to anger them. So he ordered his companions to run quickly uh, around the Kaaba, except in that place between the Rukn Yamani and the Blackstone Corner. In that place they would walk, and this was out of mercy of the Prophet ﷺ to his companions. Because in that place, between those two corners, the pagans couldn't see them, since they had climbed upon the mountain of Qu'aiqi'an. That mountain which is above the hill of Al-Marwa, between which the pilgrims make Sa'i, between Al-Marwa and Al-Safa. So uh, they were sitting on the mountain so that they could see what the Muslims were doing and while they were making tawaf they were running and this indeed angered and enraged the pagans because they thought they were weak and they themselves only used to walk around the Kaaba.
So the Prophet ﷺ, he told his companions to run in order to reject or to refute or to respond to the idea that they had that the Muslims were weak and perhaps it was an opportunity to attack them. So this ramal or running short quick steps in the tawaf of Qudum, the arrival, arrival tawaf, when the person first arrives in Mecca, it is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that should be followed for the person when they first arrive in Mecca upon their visit to Mecca. And this is in remembrance of how the early Muslims or the condition of the early Muslims, what they were in, and also in following the example or the model of the praiseworthy position that they took and the stand that they took in facing the pagans and the patience, the uh, extreme patience that they had under very, very difficult circumstances. And in light of the great and noble and onerous actions in support of the deen and raising up the word of Allah, and then the Shaykh says, Allah ittiba'ahum asarihim. May Allah grant us or give us the reward or give us success in following the example and the model of those who came before us. So this Ramal, when we do it, it should be a reminder to us of the history of what happened in the early days of Islam and how the Muslims were weak, but even though they were weak, they stood strong and bold and they didn't take a back step. This is a good lesson for the Muslims today. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions six points. The first of them is that the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, that they performed Ramal in the first three circuits of the arrival tawaf, except between the two corners, the Yamani corner and the black stone. Because here the Prophet ﷺ gave them the permission yani, to stop running and to walk as a mercy to, to them. This was in Umrah al-Qaba. That was in the Umrah of the seventh year of the Hijrah, the Umrah that was performed in place of the Umrah when the Muslims were prevented in the previous year, the year of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And this is important because here the Shaykh says that it will be mentioned in the discussion of the following hadith that it is mustahab to run or to do Ramal in the whole of the first three circuits. To do running Ramal in the whole of the first three circuits and not to walk between the Yamani corner and the black stone. Yani it is mustahab that we run the whole three circuits. And that will be discussed in the following hadith. Uh, the discussion of this will come in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar. Number two, he said that it is mustahab to do ramal in every tawaf when a person first arrives in Mecca. Yani every time you go to Mecca, if you go this year and next year and the following year, the first tawaf that you make when you arrive in Mecca, it is mustahab to do ramal in that tawaf. It is called tawaf al-qudum. But if you have already entered Mecca, and you made your umrah, and you went back to the masjid and you want to make tawaf again, no problem. It is encouraged to do so, but not to do ramal. Ramal is only in the tawaf of the person when they are arriving in Mecca from outside. Not for those who are making tawaf from inside. So this is mustahab. No matter if that tawaf is part of Hajj Umrah or otherwise. Yani people are making tawaf who are not making Hajj Umrah. They are in Mecca and when they go to the masjid, instead of making Turaka, they may make tawaf. And this is mustahab and it's very, very rewardable. So the tawaf in which Ramal is performed is tawaf al-Qudum when the person arrives in Mecca. 
Uh, and here he says, the proof of this is the saying of the Prophet was the saying of the narrator who was narrating the hadith as reported by an Imam Muslim, Rahimahullah, Kanazalika, Ida Tafa al Tawaf al Awwal. Yani the Ramal, it was done when the Prophet was making the first Tawaf, Yani the Tawaf of arrival in Mecca. Number three, the third point derived from this hadith is that Muslims are encouraged to show their strength and their power in front of the enemies of the deen in order to anger them and to enrage them and to show the strength of the Muslims and the weakness of the disbelievers yani to uh, weaken their willpower or perhaps their desire to attack the Muslims a show of strength is expected from the Muslims in the face of the enemies of Islam number four that the wisdom behind the Ramal now in these days it is that we will be reminded of the condition of As-Salaf As-Sali, our righteous predecessors, those who came before us in the rites of Hajj, whether the Sa'i between Safar al-Marwa or Rami al-Jima' stoning the pillows in Mina or in sacrificing and otherwise. Yani, these things are a reminder to us of the condition of those before us as an example to us. Number five, that Ar-Ramal is especially for men to the exclusion of women because women are expected to cover themselves and running may cause the show of the parts of the body of the woman it is not expected for women to do ramal and likewise it's not expected for the women to run between the two green posts in the side between al-safa and al-marwa it is for men to the exclusion of women although there is some difference of opinion in this matter and Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah held the opinion that it's allowed for the women to do so because the basis of the running between Safar and Marwa it was uh, Hajr the wife of Ibrahim salam. Uh, however he made the condition that it's permissible for women to do so if there are no men around and I don't think there's any day in the year day or night that you can go to Safar and Marwa and not find any men because people are making tawaf inside day and night every day in Hajj and Umrah and every season and time of the year in any case, the opinion of the majority of the scholars is that it is exclusively for men to the exclusion of women. Number six, he said that if someone forgot or for some reason was unable to do Ramal in the first three circuits of the Tawaf of arrival, then he shouldn't make up the Ramal yani by doing it in other circuits. Because what is expected or what is required according to the Sunnah and the Sharia in the last four circuits is walking. Therefore, it's improper to contradict that by trying to make up for what was missed in the first three. Therefore, it is a sunnah, the Ramal, it is a sunnah that has a place, and if that place is missed, then it's, it's, it's lost. No need to try to make it up. The next hadith is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar. And in the previous hadith was Abdullah ibn Abbas, and this hadith again is Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, he said, رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حين يقدم مكة إذا استلم الركن الأسود أول ما يطوف يخب ثلاثة أشوات عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما said I saw the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم at the time when he arrived in مكة and this hadith is an occasion after the uh, Umrah al-Qadha 
till a future, a later incident that took place in the time of the Prophet ﷺ visiting Mecca. And the Prophet made a number of umrahs in addition to uh, the farewell pilgrimage, Hajjat al-Wada, in the last year of his life. So, Abdul ibn Umar here is referring to another occasion in which the Prophet ﷺ arrived in Mecca and he said that I saw him when he arrived in Mecca and he touched istilam, touched al-rukn al-aswad, meaning the black stone, the, the corner in which the black stone is placed. He said, I, I saw him when he touched the black stone at the beginning when he began to make the tawaf and then he did the running. Yakhubbu it is yarmulu that he did running in the first three circuits. And here he didn't say in the first three circuits except between the Yamani corner and the black stone. And this was the future, the later action of the Prophet ﷺ, that whenever he made tawaf al-qudum, on other than that first occasion in the, in the, in the year after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, on all other occasions when he made tawaf al-qudum, arrival, first arrival in Mecca, he made ramal or running the first three circuits completely, not any walking in it, but completely. That means that his later action abrogates the earlier action, unlike some of our brothers who translated the Manasir Hajj Umrah of Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin al-Albani and they added to the text of his book that it's narrated in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet ordered his companions to walk between the two corners. It is narrated in Sahih Muslim but that was in Umrah al-Qadha and his later action in all of the other Umrahs is that he didn't have any walking in the first three circuits but he walked from the black stone back to the black uh, he ran from the black stone back to the black stone three complete circuits running doing ramal and this is the sunnah and is the final practice of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and also the shaykh says in the general meaning of this hadith that Abdul ibn Umar was very careful and concerned and eager to follow the practices of the Prophet Abdul ibn Umar is well known for this that he used to carefully observe all of the actions of the Prophet whether they were what, what is considered religious acts or just his normal behavior and he used to do whatever the Prophet used to do the way he used to walk, the way he talked, the places he went whatever he did in a certain place Abdul ibn Umar used to do the same even to the extent, though many of the companions of the Prophet criticized Abdul ibn Umar for doing so, he saw the place where the Prophet ﷺ got down from his camel to relieve himself. And when he used to make Hajj, he used to, Abdul ibn Umar, used to stop in that place also and relieve himself. And it's not an act of ibadah. But this is how strict he was in following the actions of the Prophet in everything that he did. So here Abdul ibn Umar observed the actions of the Prophet ﷺ to know about his actions uh, and to see everything that he would do and here he describes what he observed in the tawaf of the Prophet ﷺ that was on his arrival in Mecca and that is that he did a rumble these the running in short quick steps in the first three circuits completely the whole of those three circuits and this was after he touched the black stone and the touching of the black stone is the beginning of the tawaf uh, and this Ramal, it is in remembrance of the condition or the circumstances that took place in the time of the early generations of the Muslims when they were showing their strength to the pagans who were watching them from the mountain in order to enrage them and to anger them and also to discourage them from making any attempt to attack them.
From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions five points. The first of them is that it is mustahab. And he also, this is mentioned in the previous hadith, that it is mustahab to do ramal in the first three circuits of the tawaf, of qudum. But in this hadith, it's clear that there is no exception in, that, in those first three circuits for walking, but the ramal should be done in the whole of those three circuits. Number two, that walking in the remaining four circuits uh, should be performed even if some of the first three circuits the person didn't do ramal in some parts of it or in the whole of them still walking is what is legislated in the last four because as we said the ramal in the first three circuits it has a place in which it should be performed if it is missed then that sunnah has passed the person by number three uh, here the Shaykh mentions the abrogation of the walking in the first three circuits between the two corners. He said that the running in the first three circuits, it should be done in the whole of them. This was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ after Umratul Qada, after the Umrah that was made uh, in place of the one that they were prevented from. Yani, the Umrah that was made in the year after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Therefore, this running in the whole of the first three circuits, it is abrogating Nasikh is abrogating the walking between the two corners that was done in the Umrah Al-Qadha in the seventh year of the Hijrah because this, uh, this practice of the Prophet ﷺ came later it came later and that which comes later abrogates that which was earlier and Nasikh, the abrogator is the one that comes later and the Mansukh, the thing that is invalidated or nullified or abrogated is that which was earlier and likewise also because the weakness that the Muslims were suffering from at that time it was no longer present so this is also another reason why there's no need to do that walking in any case the important reason is that the later practice of the Prophet ﷺ abrogates his earlier practice the fourth point is that the rumble of the Prophet ﷺ, after the cause for that rumble was no longer present. Yani the, the cause for the Ramal was to show their strength to the pagan disbelievers. Even when that cause was absent, the Prophet ﷺ continued to do Ramal in his future Umrahs and in his farewell pilgrimage uh, as a reminder of the previous conditions of the Muslims. Therefore, we also do Ramal in order to keep alive the memory of the early history of the Muslims and what they went through and their stand in it. The last point he mentions here is istilam al-hajr al-aswad yani touching the black stone in the beginning of every tawaf yani tawaf it means seven times and when you begin the tawaf the beginning when you get ready to make the circumambulation touching the black stone it is legislated as well not only in the beginning but every time that you pass the black stone in every circuit when you pass it you should also touch the black stone if it is easy to do so and if whoever is able at the beginning of the tawaf as well as every time you pass the black stone in each circuit it is legislated to touch it if you are able to do so and here the shaykh says and we also previously mentioned that it is legislated to kiss the stone and that kissing of the stone is in the beginning of the first circuit as well as every time passing the black stone taqbeel or kissing of the stone, it is legislated as mentioned in the hadith of Umar, the first hadith in which he said, had I not seen the Messenger of Allah kissing you, 
I would not have kissed you. So this kissing of the stone as well as touching it is in the beginning of each tawaf and in the every time passing the black stone in the coming circuit. The last hadith, uh, the next, next to the last hadith, this is hadith number 223, back to Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. In this hadith, Abdullah ibn Abbas, may Allah be pleased with him and his father said, Qala, Tafa and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fi hajjatil wada' that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made tawaf in the farewell pilgrimage ala ba'irin riding on a camel yastalimu ar-rukna bimihjanin and he was touching making istilam instead of with his hand he was doing the istilam or touching of the black stone with a curved stick a stick that the head of it was curved like a cane he was touching the stone with the stick instead of with his hand he was making tawaf riding on a camel this is in Hajjat al-Wada in the farewell pilgrimage in the last year of his life he was riding a camel and he was touching the stone with a stick the general meaning of this hadith the shaykh says that the Prophet ﷺ made tawaf in the farewell pilgrimage and there were many many people many many people in the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu reported in, in, in uh, Sahih Muslim and other books of hadith he said that the Prophet ﷺ in the farewell pilgrimage he said that as far as you could see in front of you there were people and as far as you could see behind you there were people and as far as you could see to the right and the left there were people and some of the scholars estimated that the number of people perhaps was about 100,000 and 100,000 in that time it was Azim. The Prophet ﷺ was making tawaf amongst such a huge number of people. And he said some of them wanted to see how he was making the tawaf so that they would follow his example. And some of them wanted to see him because they had not seen him. The Muslims came from all over the Arabian Peninsula when they knew that the Prophet ﷺ was making his farewell pilgrimage. For this reason it was very, very crowded. And the Prophet ﷺ, due to his perfect compassion and mercy towards his ummah, and his desire to treat all of the people equally he rode on a camel and he made his tawaf on the camel so that all people could see him equally so that everyone who was far near they would be able to see him and how he was making his tawaf at that time there was a stick with him with a curved end and he used that stick to touch the corner the black stone and he kissed the stick as it's narrated in another hadith, the hadith reported by Imam Muslim, Rahimahullah. Yani he touched the stone with the stick and he kissed the stick. And this he will discuss in the explanation, yani in the discussion of the things that are derived from the hadith. From this hadith he mentions six points. The first of them is the permission of making tawaf riding. If there is a reason to do so, it's, perm- it's permissible to make the tawaf riding. If there is a reason or an excuse for doing so. Otherwise, Walking in the tawaf is preferable. Walking in the tawaf is preferable. But the Prophet ﷺ rode for a maslaha, for a reason, in order that all of the people could see him. Al Imam Ibn Daqiq Al Aid, who has a very comprehensive, as we mentioned on previous occasions, a comprehensive explanation of the same book that we are studying, Amdat Al Ahkam. In that book, he said, <coughs> in discussing this point of the Prophet ﷺ riding the camel, may be in and of itself preferable without consideration of anything else 
However, another matter, if it is connected to it, it might be more preferable, the second matter. And it may be given preference, the second matter, over the first. And this in no way reduces the virtue or the excellence of the first thing. Yani, walking in the tawaf is preferable, and it is a virtue, and a merit, and an excellence. However, there was another factor involved here. It was that the Prophet ﷺ wanted all the people to see him. In that case, it was better, on that occasion, for that reason, for him to ride on the camel. And that doesn't negate the fact that walking in the tawaf under normal circumstances is preferable. Especially if the reason why he rode the camel, if that reason is not present, then the original ruling of the preference of walking comes back into play. And therefore, under normal circumstances, it is preferable to walk. However, if there is a reason for someone to ride, such as those who are sick or lame, they cannot walk, crippled or otherwise, then there is no harm in them riding. Because there is a maslaha or a benefit in them riding. The second point is that it is mustahab to touch the black stone with one's hand if one is able. And if not, then you may touch it with a stick or something similar to that with the condition that a person should be careful of causing any harm to anyone. In either case, of touching with their hand or any other object. Here, the Shaykh mentions the narration of Sahih Muslim. He said that an extra note was reported in the riwayah of Al-Imam Muslim. And in that riwayah he said, وَيُقَبِّلْ الْمِحْجَنْ Yani that the Prophet ﷺ touched the black stone with the stick. In the narration of Muslim he said, and he kissed the stick itself. In the narration of Bukhari it doesn't mention that. But in the narration of Muslim he said he kissed the stick. And as we studied in Mustalah Hadith, ziyadat al-thiqa maqbula. That extra information which comes from a reliable reporter that wasn't reported by other reliable reporters, it's acceptable. It's acceptable if it is from a reliable reporter. And it doesn't contradict the reports of those who are also reliable. And here there's no contradiction between those who said that he touched the stone with the stick and those who said he touched the stone with the stick and kissed the stick. It is ziyada. Ziyada to thiqa, maqbula. Then he says it's also narrated in the Sahih Muslim from Abdul Amir Umar. Marfu'an. Marfu'an. Meaning? Attributed to the Prophet Al-Hajr biyadihi thumma qabdalaha. Yani that he touched the stone with his hand and he kissed it. Yani he kissed his hand. That he touched the stone with his hand and he kissed it. And Al-Hafiz bin Hajr Askalani in Fatul Bari, the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, said that this, the touching of the stone with one's hand, although the original ruling is that the person should and he touch it with the hand, but touching it with a stick, it is also acceptable. This is the statement of the Jamhur, the majority of scholars, that it's permissible to touch it with a stick. However, the sunnah, the primary and first sunnah, is that the person should touch the black stone with their hand and kiss their hand. If they are not able, then they may uh, touch it with something else, like a stick, and kiss that stick. Yani, the original rule is that the person should touch the stone with their hand and kiss their hand. But whoever is not able, if they are able to touch it with something else, then they may do so and kiss that thing as the Prophet ﷺ touched it with his stick and then he kissed the stick. Number four, 
that from this hadith, from the practice of the Prophet ﷺ, we find an example for the scholars. That they should show and exhibit and display their speech or their actions. They should show their actions along with what they say in order to be a perfect example for the people and to give them beneficial learning. Yani, the scholars should not only teach the people by words, but they should also show that example in their actions as the Prophet ﷺ not only taught the people what to do in worship of Allah but he also showed them number five Imam Ibn Dhiqiq al-Aid says this hadith was used as a proof by some of the scholars to show that the urine of those animals whose meat is eaten that it is tahara yani the tahara or the purity of the urine of those animals whose meat is eaten. Since the Prophet ﷺ couldn't have been sure that the camel that he rode into the masjid with, he couldn't have been sure of that camel not urinating. There was no way for him to guarantee that the camel would not urinate while he was making tawaf. And therefore, from this you may understand yani, that if the urine of the camel was najis, unclean, the Prophet ﷺ would never have rode the camel into the masjid, subjecting the masjid to the possibility of being defiled by something that's najis. While that which is less than that, in order to show the exalted status of the masjid, lesser than that has been prohibited, the shaykh says. Less than the possibility of the camel urinating in the masjid, if it was najis, if his urine was najis, Something less than that has also been prohibited and perhaps he may be alluding to Allahu A'lam the fact that women when they are in menses even though they are protecting themselves but they are not allowed to enter the masjid in that condition. The women in menses are not allowed to enter the masjid. But the Prophet ﷺ, and this is in order to preserve the purity of the masjid but the Prophet ﷺ allowed the camel to enter because some of the scholars said the urine of the camel is not najis. And here, from this they understood the general rule that all of those animals whose meat is eaten, their urine is not considered to be unclean. Uh, and then he says, and this is an important principle on the point number five, Al-Asl Al-Tahara Illa Bi-Dalil Wa-Dalil Huna Ayyada Al-Asl Yani, that the original ruling is that the urine of the camel and other things, the original ruling is that it's pure that it's clean unless there's a proof showing that it's unclean. If there's no proof, we cannot say that something is unclean. We cannot say that the urine of the human being is unclean unless there's a proof. Since we have a proof, we can say it's unclean. For whatever we have a proof, we can say it's unclean. Otherwise, the original ruling is that things are clean. And this includes the earth. The whole of the earth is considered to be clean unless you have a proof that that particular place that it is unclean, it has been defiled by urine or feces or some other najis thing. Otherwise, the whole of the earth is considered to be pure and this is understood from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ That the whole of the earth has been made for me as a masjid, a place where I may pray and as a source of purification. It wouldn't be so unless the original ruling is that the earth, the whole of it is pure. Unless you know that it has been defiled, in that case you won't use it as a place of prayer, nor as a purification. So the original ruling is that things are pure unless there's a proof, a dalil, showing that they're un pure, in unclean. The last point, he, he says, the Shaykh, Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, says that it is encouraged that the person should, everyone should make tawaf of the Kaaba as much as possible because it is of the righteous deeds. 
And this is preferable and better than a person going outside of the haram in order to come back and make another Umrah, which is called Umrah Makkiyah. It is better that the person stay in the masjid and make tawaf rather than to go out to Masjid Tan'im, the Masjid of Aisha as they call it, and come back in making another Umrah. When you're already in Mecca, go out to come back in. The Umrah is visiting Mecca. If you are in Mecca, how do you visit it again? You don't come to somebody's house and while you're visiting say, I'm going to visit you again. You go out the door and come back in. It doesn't make sense. You're already there. So there's no Umrah from inside of Mecca. Except in the circumstance that has been allowed in the Sharia. And that circumstance took place in the farewell pilgrimage with Aisha radiallahu anha. When she, when her menses came and she was unable to perform her Umrah with the Hajj. In the end of the Hajj, she asked the Prophet to allow her to perform Umrah, and he discouraged her from doing so. He discouraged her from doing so, but when she insisted, he told her brother Abdurrahman anhu, to take her out to the outskirts of the sacred area and allow her to come in and make the Umrah that she missed due to her menses. So if anyone is in that situation, that they missed their Umrah due to menses, then they may go out and make Umrah. Otherwise, for you and I, the men, we have no option in this matter. The Shaykh said that it is preferable to make tawaf rather than to go out and make this type of umrah which it was not done by the early generations of the Muslims not from amongst the muhajireen, the immigrants, nor the Ansar, the people of Medina nor did the Prophet ﷺ encourage it in fact, on the contrary, he discouraged it and also concerning this tawaf there are a lot of hadith but I just wanted to mention one of them to show the greatness of the tawaf and it's reported in Al-Jami Al-Saghir the Al-Imam Al-Suyuti and the Sahih of it by Shaykh Al-Albani Rahimahullah on the authority of Abu ibn Umar that the Prophet said من طاف بهذا البيت أسبوعاً whoever makes tawaf of this house the Kaaba seven times فأحصاهو and he makes it properly and completely and correctly Yani doing it complete كَانَ كَعِتْقِ رَقَبَةٍ Yani the reward for it will be like the freeing of a slave. Whoever makes the tawaf seven times around the Kaaba, it will be as though he is freeing a slave. وَلَا يَضَعُ قَدَمًا وَلَا يَرْفَعُ أُخْرَى And he doesn't put his foot down when he is walking around the Kaaba, nor lift it up. إِلَّا حَطَّ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ بِهَا خَطِيَةً Except that every time he puts his foot down, Allah will remove one of his sins from him. And every time he raises his foot, Allah will remove one of his sins from him. وَكَتَبَ لَهُ بِهَا حَسَنَةً And write for him a good deed. Yani every time the person takes a step in the tawaf, Allah will remove one of his sins and write for him a good deed. This is the great reward of tawaf. And this is from the sunnah. Why should somebody abandon the sunnah and go after that which is not legislated in the sunnah? Okay, in the last minutes that are remaining, We'll take the last hadith as quickly as possible with Ibn Ta'ala and whatever remaining after the Adhan we'll try to stay just a few moments. The last hadith is hadith number two twenty four, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma Paul Lam Ara Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yastalam min al bait illa ruknini al Yamanini. He said, Abdul ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, that I never saw the Prophet وسلم, touching any part of the Kaaba, the bait except the two Yamani corners, meaning the Rukn Yamani and the Hajj Aswad. The two Yamani corners means the Rukn Yamani and Hajj Aswad. Here the Shaykh says in the general meaning of this hadith that the Bayt, yani the Kaaba, has four pillars. Two of them 
or one of them, Rukn al-Sharqi, that is the one in which the black stone is contained, it has two virtues. The first of them is that the corner in which the black stone is placed, it is built upon the original foundations of Ibrahim salam. And likewise, its second virtue is that it contains the Hajar Aswad, the black stone. The other Yamani corner, that one which is normally referred to as Rukn Yamani, it has one virtue, and that is that it was built upon the original foundations of Ibrahim salam. Whereas the other two corners, those two corners, Ashamiyan, they are not built on the original foundation of Ibrahim salam because the pagans, when they were rebuilding the Kaaba, they didn't have enough remaining lawful money, so they stopped the building of the Kaaba at that point, and they only extended to the end of it by this wall called the Hijr Ismail, and he normally referred to as that. Uh, so, then he says, as for the other two corners, they have no such virtue, and likewise they shouldn't be touched. So he says, for this reason, it is legislated for, uh, to touch the Hajr Aswad, the black stone, and likewise to kiss it. And it is also legislated to touch only Ar-Rukn al-Yamani without kissing it. Yani the Yamani corner is legislated to touch it, but not to kiss it. And likewise, if someone is not allowed or is not able to touch it, they shouldn't wave to it or signal to it. But that is only for the Kaaba. If someone is not able to touch it, then they may just point with their right hand towards the Kaaba. This is not for the Yamani corner, only for the Kaaba. Now, it is only for the black stone now. It is only, yani, if the person is not able to touch the black stone, it's permissible to point with the hand towards it. One hand, the right hand. Otherwise, as the other two corners, it's not legislated to touch them, nor to kiss them. And here the Shaykh says that the Sharia, its basis is in al-ittiba'ah. Following, adhering to the Prophet Not in al-ihdaf, newly invented matters, or al-ibtida'ah innovations but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is the one who has in his legislation wisdom there is wisdom in his legislation and there are secrets in his legislation that perhaps the people may not know but it is for us only to follow to strictly adhere to that which came in the sharia then the shaykh says there are two points he mentions from here but they are long points the first of them is that uh, it is mustahab to touch the two Yamani corners. That means the Rukan Yamani and the Hajj Aswad. It is mustahab to do so. Uh, and here he says, he mentions some details concerning this touching. He said that it is mustahab in terms of the person who is making tawaf. Number one, to touch the black stone as well as to kiss it, to do both of them. If he is able to do so without any difficulty or causing harm to anyone. The second level, if he is not able to kiss it and touch it, then it's sufficient for him simply to touch it without kissing it. To touch it with his hand and to kiss his hand. The third level is if the person is unable to touch it with his hand, then he may use a stick or some other item and kiss that thing as the Prophet ﷺ did. Perhaps this is really not that practical today, to take a stick into the masjid, uh, especially if we're not riding a camel. And here in, the, in this point, the Shaykh says the details of this matter 
is that the, f the first thing the person should do is kiss, touch and kiss the black stone. If they are not able, then they may touch it simply with their hand and kiss their hand. If they are not able, then they may use a stick or something and kiss that thing which they have touched it with. Uh, and the fourth level is that if the person, if it would be difficult or they would cause harm to themselves or others, then it's sufficient to simply point towards the black stone without kissing their hand. And he simply just to point, saying Allahu Akbar or Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, by pointing with the right hand. Uh, as for the Rukun Yamani, whoever is able to touch it should touch it, and who is, uh, whoever is not able to touch it should not point towards it, because it has not been reported in any narration that the Prophet did or said that we should point towards it if we are unable to touch it. And uh, the Sharia in reference to matters of worship, it is based upon revelation, narration from the Prophet ﷺ only. So whatever has not been narrated, whatever didn't come to us from the Quran or Sunnah, then we should not do it. And this is a principle also, a great principle, that in matters of ibadah or worship, everything is haram, unless there is a belief for it. We cannot do any act of worship unless we have a proof for it. Whereas the opposite is true in matters of other, in things other than worship. Everything is, is allowed. Everything is halal. In other matters outside of worship, everything is considered to be lawful. Unless somebody has a proof that it's prohibited. Everything Allah has made lawful for us. Unless there's a proof in the Sharia showing that this thing is unlawful. So the difference between ibadah and other than ibadah is that ibadah can only be done with a dalil. It's prohibited to do it without evidence. And as for other things, you may do whatever you like. Unless somebody has a proof showing that it is prohibited. Shaykh Islam in Taymiyyah says that the correct opinion about Ruqan Yamani is that it should not be kissed. As for the other sides of the Kaaba, the walls of the Kaaba, or the Shamaniya, or the Shamiyan, yani the other two corners of the Kaaba besides the Yemeni corner and the Blackstone corner, none of these things is legislated to be touched or rubbed upon. Likewise, the Maqam Ibrahim, the station of Ibrahim, it is not proper to kiss it or to touch it. And this is by agreement of the Muslims, those who follow the Sunnah of the Prophet Likewise, it is agreed upon that no one should kiss the rooms or the walls of the room of the Prophet in the Masjid in Medina. Touching and rubbing it and kissing it is not legislated. And this is so that no other place would be considered as similar to or equal to the house of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in no place should be considered like the Kaaba. This touching or kissing is specifically for the Kaaba and not for any other place. And if this is so, that it's not proper to kiss or to touch the grave or the doors or the walls around the grave of the Prophet now what about kissing and touching the graves of other than the Prophet, so-called saints or whoever they may be? And it is even more unlawful. They shouldn't be kissed and they shouldn't be touched. Uh, as for making tawaf around the graves of saints or whoever, then this is the most evil of innovations and the most evil of that which have been prohibited. Yeah, and if it's not allowed to touch the grave of the Prophet then certainly it's not allowed to touch any other grave and making tawaf around it, which is a clear act of worship, tawaf, then this is a great and terrible, a severe, prohibited innovation. 
The second point and the last point that the Shaykh mentions is that it is not legislated in the Sharia to touch other than the two Yamani corners, meaning Rukun Yamani and the black stone. Any other corner of the Kaaba, it's not legislated to touch it, nor any other places that are considered as Muqaddasat or shrines or sacred places or sites, such as the Maqam Ibrahim, Jabal Rahma in Arafat, the Mountain of Mercy in Arafat, Al-Mashr Al-Haram in Muzdalifa, the sacred monument in Muzdalifa, Rawdat Al-Nabi Sharifa, the Rawdah of the Prophet in the Prophet's Masjid, yani that the Prophet said, it is a garden, Rawdah in Riyadh Al-Jannah, it is a garden from the gardens of paradise. But it's not legislated that we should rub on the walls. As you, you go to the Prophet's Masjid today, you'll see people rubbing on the walls, the poles, the tiles, and all of this has only recently been, been installed. It was brought in from Italy or some place and people are rubbing it as though they're going to give some blessings. All of these places, including the stone, the Sakhra, at Beit al-Maqdis in, Ju- in Jerusalem, yani the Dome of the Rock. Also, these things, all of these places, it is not legislated to touch them or to kiss them, seeking any kind of blessings. Because the legislation or the guidance in Islam is from the legislator. And we should not add to it, nor exaggerate in it. We should not take from it, nor fall short in fulfilling that which has been legislated in the Sharia. And by the way, the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem is not Masjid al-Aqsa. Masjid al-Aqsa is different than the Masjid which contains the Rock in which it is said that the Prophet ascended to the heavens in the time of the Isra and Mi'raj. The Dome of the Rock is a Masjid and the Masjid al-Aqsa is another Masjid and Muslims should know this and as it came to us recently some brothers uh, made some announcements concerning this and showed how the Jews are behind this publicity move to, dis- to sell or even to give away freely pictures of the Dome of the Rock written underneath it Masjid al-Aqsa so that the Muslims will be deceived into thinking that the Dome of the Rock is Masjid al-Aqsa because the Jews intend to destroy Masjid al-Aqsa in order to build their temple that was some time in the past history destroyed from that place and they intend to rebuild it and they have to destroy Masjid Aqsa in order to do it and they want the Muslims to think that nothing has happened when they destroy it they will show the Dome of the Rock and all of the ignorant Muslims will think everything is okay the Masjid Aqsa is still there uh, whoever legislates any act of worship that has not been legislated by Allah and his Messenger وسلم, then he has lied against Allah he has denied the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ That today I have completed for you your deen. Whoever adds anything to it, then they have denied the statement of Allah that the deen is complete. And they have, they have also come behind to correct or to complete the message of the messenger of Allah Muhammad who said تَرَقْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْمَحَجَّةِ الْبَيْدَةِ لَيْلُهَا كَنَّهَارِهَا That I have left you on a clear, crystal clear road, path. Its night is just like its day. It's night is just like it's day. That road is so clear, if you are traveling in the night, you can see clearly. This is what he has left us upon. And whoever says that we have to add anything to the guidance that he left for us, then they have denied the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that what he has left is crystal clear and sufficient for us. Then the Shaykh closes by saying that we see some of the people leaving the obligatory prayers at the Kaaba in Mecca in order that they may make taslim along with the Imam, exactly with the Imam, or even before the Imam, and I have seen it hundreds of times, they actually make taslim, get out of the salat before the Imam even says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, in order that they may be the first one to kiss the black stone. Subhanallah. 
they leave the obligatory prayer which invalidates their prayer in order to kiss the black stone which is sunnah and all of this is the result of ignorance and the lack of the guidance of sincere people of knowledge to teach the people and to correct them and to guide them correctly he said that we have turned away from or we have turned ourselves towards the love of this dunya and it is the head or the cause of every mistake and error and sin and we have left the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind our back فَإِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَا وَبِحَمْدِكَ أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْ تَسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَأَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ الجوا